0: Hey everybody, it is great to be with you as we explore another 40 days narrative, these moments of transition in the Bible that we've been exploring so that we can be equipped and empowered for our own once in a generation, maybe even once in a lifetime moment of transition that we're all going through as well. I want to begin by just asking you to reflect for a moment on the last few weeks and ask you how has it been going for you as the restrictions have lifted? How's that been leaving you feeling? What's that been like for you? Some of us are loving it, okay? We have had our haircut three times already, okay? We've had a, a new fire pit addiction appear in our life. We're enjoying garden parties, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We've been to every beer garden in Birmingham and indeed the Black Country, and we're just loving life. Others of us, though, are finding that amidst the blessings which we really wanna take hold of and be thankful for, This is a moment that has challenge, too. Maybe it's the readjusting your habits and your routines again after you'd sort of found a way of surviving and thriving, but now you're having to just work it out again. And that's tricky and we're out of the practice of thinking like that. Maybe it's the increasing complexity of decision-making now. Lockdown was a touch bleak, wasn't it? Understatement of the year. But at least it was simple and clear. You kind of knew where you were. Now there's a lot of moving parts again and again we're out of the practice of, of thinking like that and working out what we're going to do when and how's it going to work. I know for some of us, uh, perhaps those particularly who've been on the front lines, been giving ourselves who are not feeling like this is a brand new moment, you're feeling like we're still working really hard and absolutely shattered. Maybe we just feel like we've got nothing in the tank and actually there's a lot to do, there's a lot to be expected of us and work is challenging and home is tricky and actually we feel we've got nothing in the tank. And that's a really vulnerable place to be, to know that there's a lot expected of us, there's a lot for us to rise to and feel that we cannot really get ourselves to rise to it. it can cause us to feel quite vulnerable, quite fearful even. If you experience any of that over the last few weeks, then today's story is going to really help you. We find ourselves in this story with our Lord and our God, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, the eternal son of God made human and now in our world. And he is in a time of 40. Even God, right, when he goes through a transition, needs a time of 40 as he prepares for the great transition in his earthly life. He has been living one way for 30 years, and now he's heading into three years of ministry, healing, teaching, befriending, etc. And the bridge time between those two eras in his life is this desert experience. He is driven by the Holy Spirit to a wasteland for 40 days and 40 nights. And though, of course, his wilderness experience is different to our pandemic experience. Not least he's the son of God taking on Satan with the salvation of the cosmos on his shoulders. Unfortunately, that's not our calling. Uh, But though there are differences, there are real similarities. There's a reason why uh, people use the language of the desert place to describe difficulties in their life, because it's not only times in a desert that feel like times in a desert. Actually, any time of waiting, Any time of isolation, any time of being stretched to the limits of our capacity, any time of being withdrawn from our religious community. So we have to stand on our own two feet spiritually learning, perhaps for the first time to draw from God for strength ourselves. These are desert experiences and we've been in them and Jesus has been in them. And so like we're at a low ebb in many ways and we're tired and fatigued, Jesus is in that place. You know, we need to not buy the heresy that just because he's the son of God, he's somehow Superman and can ride through 40 days of no food in the blistering heat as if it's nothing. No, as verse two teaches us, Jesus was hungry. That's the understatement of the Bible. Of course he was hungry and the rest he was exhausted. He was absolutely at a low air, probably covered in blisters from the heat. See, Hebrews teaches us that the son of God had to become in every way like us, in every way like us, a true human being. He had to truly enter our weak and fragile frame so that he could know what it is to be tempted in every way like we are, though without sin. But Jesus, after his wilderness, is definitely exhausted and struggling and at a low ebb. And so if you're in that place, he knows our frame. He can sympathise. He's been there. He's been there. But now look at verse 14. This verse has been my verse in the pandemic. This has given me hope and fuel for prayer for the last few months. It says of Jesus, he returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. He returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. After this brutal wilderness experience, something happens to him, something happens in him that unleashes a new spiritual vibrancy, life, power and authority. So much so that this hungry, weak Jesus marches straight to the temple, gets the attendant, says open the scroll and proclaims himself as the arrival of the Lord's favour. It is quite a return. He's devoted to God. He is revived in his inner being. He returned in the power of the spirit. And as you return, don't you want that to be true of you? As you return to your friendships, to family members you've not seen, to your workplace, to callings that you've had to pause. As you return, don't you want to return in the power of the spirit, not limited to what you can muster up, but what the spirit can do in and through you? And in the church, don't we want that? We're returning at the moment, aren't we? We're in this phase of trying to return. And it's sometimes a bit tricky. And I'm in so many meetings about returning that I could scream. And I'm trying to get through them with so much coffee as we plan. or What are we going to do about humming or singing or mingling or no mingling or masks or car parks and sixes in the car park or the park in sixes? Or is that is that is it a gathering? Is it not a gathering? And all these things. And I tell you what, more important than where are we going to meet, how are we going to meet, what are we going to do when we meet, how many of us are going to meet, more important than any of those externals is that we would return in the power of the Spirit. Because if we return in the power of the Spirit, then I promise you this, we will be able to push through any external barriers, any awkwardness in reintegration, any learning again how to worship God together. Any of those external things, stylistic preferences, logistical trickiness, we'll just push through it because we're the people of God and we gather and we return in the power of the Spirit. But if we don't have the spirit's power and if our devotion is wilted and if we can't be bothered with Jesus and if we're half hearted, then any external things that are in place will not touch the surface of our hearts because we need to come back in the power of the spirit. It's our relationship with God that is our greatest need. It is spiritual power that is our greatest need and our greatest opportunity in this moment. So application of the sermon, return in the power of the spirit, please. Easy, right? Wrong. Not easy. Because to get there, Jesus had to battle. And so will we. The moment of reintegration and return for Jesus is not only an opportunity, but it's also a dangerous moment, a vulnerable moment. It's a fierce battleground because at our moments of weakness and when we're at our lowest ebb, those are moments when the merciless enemy will come to us and will tempt us with alluring, deep, profound, very attractive temptations and lies. And that's what he does to Jesus. He comes to him with these three temptations that are designed to dampen Jesus's devotion to God, to lead Jesus into compromise. Because Satan knows that if he can get the the son of God then and the people of God now to be content with compromise in their walk with God, then all the power is gone. It doesn't matter whether you're gathering with masks or no masks, humming or singing. If we're full of compromise in our inner being, then Satan won't even have any need to oppose us. There are three temptations that come to Jesus, and I want to look at all of them briefly. They are settled for too little, bypass the process and give up too soon. And these are temptations that we need to be alert to. As uh, James says, we need to resist the devil so that he flees from us. Or as Paul would say in Ephesians, we need to be aware of the devil's schemes and stand in the armour of God so that he will flee from us. Or as 1 Peter says, we need to be alert and sober-minded, switched on, awake to the fact that we have an enemy who's prowling for us right now. The first one, settle for too little. Jesus is tired, okay? Okay. He's aching and he's hungry and he wants strength. He wants satisfaction. He wants to feel alive again. He wants relief after a time of hardship. In fact, he needs relief after a time of hardship. And so Satan comes to him and says, why not you make some bread? And Jesus replies really strongly, no, man shall not live. Man shall not find strength. Man shall not find satisfaction. Man shall not feel alive again by bread alone, he goes on to say in other gospels, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying... I need strength. I need satisfaction. Yes, I have an ache. Yes, I have a hunger, but it's deeper than physical hunger. It's a spiritual hunger, a relational hunger, a psychological hunger that can only be satisfied, not in mere quick fix, tangible earthly pleasures, though some of those are not evil, but they are not enough to live from. I need my relationship with the father. I need his voice in my life. That is my food, my meat and my drink. And so, no, Satan, I'm not going to settle for a quick fix. I'm not going to turn to a quick, tangible pleasure to try and escape the pain. I'm not going to settle for too little. I'm going to press in and lean into God. I just feel this is so relevant for us right now because in our tiredness, our fatigue, when we just want to have it easy for a bit, Satan is merciless. And so we will be really vulnerable to temptations to give in to quick, tangible ways of feeling alive again. It could be anything. It could be things that are bad or things that are good. It could be work, throwing yourself into work so that you don't have to think about how sad you are or avoid things at home because they're difficult. Or it could be sexual sin, buying the lie again, again, that momentary, quick pleasure it's going to make us feel alive again and hey it does doesn't it just for a little moment and then it feels like a sort of death doesn't it it could be overeating it could be undereating it could be social media a new car marriage 2.4 kids preaching in the church getting a fire pit, reunions with others. It could literally be anything. But if you go to those and say, they're going to be where I feast, that's going to be enough for me. They are too small and they will never be enough. And the only thing that's enough is an intimate relationship with God. We have eternity in our hearts, the Bible says, and it is the Spirit's purpose in the desert place and the time of 40 to teach us and help us see for the first time or afresh that nothing but the eternal God therefore is enough for our hungers and Saint Augustine the world shaking African theologian put it our hearts are restless God until they find their rest in you we need to do everything necessary everything possible to wean ourselves off small satisfactions for our hungers and get ourselves to God. He is our food, our bread, our meat and our drink. And let me recommend for a moment the practice of fasting if you feel that you need to go deeper in realising that God is your food. Because fasting is very simply a practical way to, to wean yourself off one way of getting satisfaction and remind you that only God is enough. Fasting is is going without food for a spiritual benefit. It's not the same as dieting or skipping a meal so that you lose weight or whatever it is that you might try and pretend is fasting. It's for a spiritual purpose so that you can be more devoted in your drawing on God for strength and nourishment. And hey, let me encourage you. Why not try that in the remainder of 40 days? Why not fast for 24 hours? Why not fast one meal a day if you're new to it? Why not fast one meal a day for several days to to regularly get that feeling of stomach rumbling? I need to remember that God is my strength. It's a, a proven, tried and tested millennia old practice. We are not too good for it. We are not too strong for it. We need it. We need it more than ever. Let me encourage you to do anything, everything you can to get your heart satisfied in God and God alone. And that's the first thing, first temptation. Second temptation that comes to Jesus is the temptation to bypass the process. It says this in verse 5, And the devil took him up, we'll come to that in a second, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." Now, initially, this seems like a kind of classic sleazy power offer the likes you'd see in Westminster or Washington. And we assume that pure, devoted, gentle Jesus is going to be far too humble for any of that power stuff. But it isn't as simple as that, because if you know your New Testament, you'll know that God the Father offers Jesus the very same thing. He offers him the nations of the world as an inheritance. He offers him uh, exaltation and glory and to be the name above every name. Satan actually offers Jesus, what God the Father offers him. He offers him everything that's promised for him, everything that he's destined to inherit. The difference is he's offering it him quickly and without the cross. There's a reason that I think it says it took, he took Jesus up. It's like he's saying, look, I can give you a little glimpse of being exalted. I can take you up. I can raise you up. I can give you what God has promised you, glory and power galore. And I can do it now. I can do it quickly. I can do it without the cross. Just calm down your devotion to God. Settle for being compromised. Just do it in the outward appearance, but secretly worship other things. And I can help you dodge the the process, bypass the process. And we are vulnerable to the very same temptation. We're all super excited, aren't we? I'm speaking probably to my generation and younger about being world changers, radicals, influencers. And we fail to recognise that how God grows people who are radical, people who change the world and people who are influencers, is that he takes them to a desert place for extended periods of time to die to themselves, to die to their ego, to die to their pettiness and to win deep battles in their inner lives. We're all about seeing revival, aren't we? Amen. And stepping into the healthier future that I prophesied about from the lake image, amen is my prophetic word, I'm all about it, or growing in our callings. But we fail to recognise that the way these things work and have always worked in God's purposes are that the cross comes before the resurrection and the exaltation. We have to die, die to our egos, die to our pride, die to our insecurity, die to our pettiness, Die to our devotion to externals. Die to our fear of other people's opinions. As we consider as a church the things that God has called us to, to to be a national exhibition centre for his glory, to have many people for us in this city, to make Jesus the most talked about person in Birmingham and all these things. There is no way to get to any of that stuff without the process of dying to self, of picking up our crosses and following Of killing off sin, of rooting out idols, of worshipping God and God alone, as Ginny has been teaching us, of consecrating ourselves to God, of being radical and humble and obedient and obsessed with following God. That's the process. And Satan will want us to think we can grab it quickly, and we can't. We need to be on our knees. We need to quit playing games. We need to get serious, not about ourselves but about following God. I want to encourage you to do everything you can to root out sin, to pick up your cross, to be open to God and pray that prayer. Search me, know me, test me. Is there anything in me? And to let him do the hard, painful work in your inner life. And then maybe he might trust us with a little bit of breakthrough. Don't bypass the process. Third thing, and I'll finish with this. Satan tempts Jesus to give up too early. I probably want to give a mild trigger warning here to anyone for whom the subject of suicide is going to be a difficult thing to be hearing about for a few minutes in the church talk. So if you need to check out for a moment and uh, and switch off, that's fine. I'm sure you've got enough to go on from what we've looked at. That's fine. But we're going to just talk about that because that's what I think is happening in this passage. I'm sure there's lots more spiritual things that we could say, but I'm a simple guy. I'm going to say what I see. Verse 9... Satan took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Essentially, he tempts Jesus to throw himself off a building, to opt out, to give up. Having been unable to take out his devotion, he tries to take him out entirely, just get him to give up. And that could be a literal temptation for you. That could be a literal temptation for some of us or some of our friends and we want to empathize greatly with you and greatly with anyone in the church or outside of the church who is plagued with that temptation because here in my view is one of two places in the gospels where Jesus genuinely grapples with that temptation the other being Gethsemane. And so he empathises and understands and shows, too, that there's a way back from that place. And we should also note that it is never the voice of our good shepherd Jesus who whispers those thoughts. He stands against those thoughts with you as you courageously stand against those thoughts. Jesus stands with you in that battle. So it could be about that, but it it could also be a representation here of other forms of, of giving up, other ways we can check out of the desert experience. Giving up on our faith because we haven't seen God's promises come to pass. Giving up praying because he hasn't seemed to answer our prayers how we'd like. Giving up being pure and, and obedient and waiting well because what's the point? Giving up on the church because progress is slow or humming is lame or whatever it might be. Just check out, give up while Jesus Ah, Jesus stands against that temptation in the desert place. Jesus knows that it's never the right moment to give up on God. Never the right moment to give up on what God can do in your life. Never the right moment to give up on what God has promised. And so he resists and he perseveres. And just as James 4 promises, when he resisted with pure determined devotion, the devil fleed from him. Look at verse 13. Satan left him until an opportune time see when we as James says resist the devil he flees we don't have to run scared from the devil we stand in the promises of God and he runs scared from us and look after this act of devoted determination and resilience look at the next verse Jesus returned in the power of the spirit and that is the same opportunity An invitation and need that you and i have in our time i don't know how it's been but i know that god our father calls us today we're in a vulnerable moment a moment of great opportunity but where our enemy will be prowling and we need to stop playing games we need to go to war on compromise to be pure and devoted before him so that we too may return in the power of the spirit And the good news is that though we are weak and it's hard even to preach this, let alone live it, though we fall in many ways. We have each other to carry one another, the gracious, supportive, encouraging, patient community of God's people that we are to be, where we carry one another in this stuff. And we have the Holy Spirit who's available when we call on him. We can drink deeply from him and receive power and fuel and help and strength. And ultimately, we know that we don't strive for our own victory, but we stand in the victory that Christ has won. And so there's every reason to be confident that he will do this in us. But we need to pursue him. I want to ask you, are you up for it? Are you up for it?